Act Two of The Old Bachelor by William Congreve. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Act Two, Scene One. Sir Joseph Whittle, Sharper following. Sure, that's he, and along. Um, hey. This, this is the very damn place. The inhuman cannibals, the bloody-minded villains, would have butchered me last night. No doubt they would have laid me alive, have sold my skin and devoured, etc. How's this? And it hadn't been for a civil gentleman as came by and frightened him away. But agad, I durst not stay to give him thanks. This must be Belmore, he means. Ha! I have a thought. Zooks! Would the captain would come! The very remembrance makes me quake. Agad, I shall never be reconciled to this place heartily. Tis but trying, and being where I am at worst, now luck. Cursed fortune, this must be the place, this damned unlucky place. Agad, and so tis. Why, he has been more mischief done, I perceive. No, tis gone, tis lost. Ten thousand devils on that chance which drew me hither. I here, just here, this spot to me is hell. Nothing to be found but the despair of what I've lost. Looking about as if in search. Poor gentleman! By the Lord Harry, I'll stay no longer, for I have found too. Ha! Who's that has found? What have you found? Restore it quickly, or by... Not I, sir, not I. As I've a soul to be saved, I have found nothing but what has been to my loss, as I may say. And as you were saying, sir? Oh, your servant, sir. You are safe, then, it seems. Tis an ill wind that blows nobody good. Well, you may rejoice over my ill fortune, since it paid the price of your ransom. I rejoice. Agad, not I, sir. I'm very sorry for your loss, with all my heart's blood and guts, sir. And if you did but know me, you'd ne'er say I were so ill-natured. Know you? Why, can you be so ungrateful to forget me? Oh, Lord, forget him? No, no, sir, I don't forget you, because I never saw your face before. Agad! Ha! 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 Sharper, angrily. How? Stay, stay, sir, let me recollect. Aside. He's a damned angry fellow. I believe I had better remember him until I can get out of his sight. But out of sight, out of mind, Agad. Methought the service I did you last night, sir, in preserving you from those ruffians, might have taken better root in your shallow memory. Sir Joseph Whittle, aside. Gads, daggers, belts, blades, and scabbards. This is the very gentleman. How shall I make him a return suitable to the greatness of his merit? I had a pretty thing to that purpose, if he hadn't frightened it out of my memory. Hem, hem, sir, I most submissively employ your pardon for my transgression of ingratitude and omission, having my entire dependence, sir, upon the superfluity of your goodness, which, like an inundation, will, I hope, totally emerge the recollection of my error, and leave me floating in your sight upon the full-blown bladders of repentance, by the help of which I shall once more hope to swim into your favour. Bows. So, oh, sir, I am easily pacified. The acknowledgment of a gentleman. 
Acknowledgement? Sir, I am all over acknowledgement. Will not stick to show it in the greatest extremity by night or day, in sickness or in health, winter or summer, all seasons and occasions, shall testify the reality and gratitude of your superabundant humble servant, Sir Joseph Whittle, Knight. Hem, hem. Sir Joseph Whittle? The same, sir, of Whittle Hall in Comitatu Bucks. Is it possible that I am happy to have obliged the mirror of knighthood and the pink of courtesy in the age? Let me embrace you. Oh, Lord, sir! My loss I esteem as a trifle repaid with interest, since it has purchased me the friendship and acquaintance of the person in the world whose character I admire. You are only pleased to say so, sir, but pray, if I may be so bold, what is that loss you mention? Oh, term it no longer so, sir. In the scuffle last night I only dropped a bill of a hundred pound, which I confess I came half despairing to recover, but thanks to my better fortune. You found it, sir, then, it seems. I profess I'm heartily glad. Sir, your humble servant, I don't question but you are, that you have so cheap an opportunity of expressing your gratitude and generosity, since the paying so trivial a sum will wholly acquit you and doubly engage me. Sir Joseph, aside. What a dickens does he mean by a trivial sum? But han't you found it, sir? No otherwise, I vow to gad, but in my hopes and you, sir. Tiff. But that's sufficient. T'were injustice to doubt the honour of Sir Joseph Whittle. Oh, Lord, sir. You are above, I'm sure, a thought so low, to suffer me to lose what was ventured in your service. Nay, t'was in a matter paid down for your deliverance, t'was so much lent you. And you scorn, I'll say that for you. Nay, I'll say that for myself with your leave, sir. I do scorn a dirty thing, but I gad, I'm a little out of pocket at present. Pshaw, you can't want a hundred pound. Your word is sufficient anywhere. Tis but borrowing so much dirt. You have large acres and can soon repay it. Money is but dirt, Sir Joseph, mere dirt. But I profess, tis a dirt I've washed my hands of at present. I have laid it all out upon my back. Are you so extravagant in clothes, Sir Joseph? <laughs> a very good jest, I profess. <laughs> a very good jest. And I did not know that I had said it, and that's a better jest than t'other. Tis a sign you and I han't been long acquainted. You have lost a good jest for want of knowing me. I only mean a friend of mine whom I call my back. He sticks as close to me and follows me through all danger. He is indeed back, breast, and headpiece, as it were, to me. Agad, he's a brave fellow. Ah, I'm quite another thing when I'm with him. I don't fear the devil, bless us, almost as if he be by. Ah, had he been with me last night? If he had, sir, what then? He could have done no more, nor perhaps have suffered so much. Angrily. Had he a hundred pound to lose? Oh, Lord, sir, by no means. But I might have saved a hundred pound. I meant innocently, as I hoped to be saved, sir. A damned hot fellow. Only, as I was saying, I let him have all my ready money to redeem his great sword from limbo. But, sir, I have a letter of credit to Alderman Fondlewife as far as two hundred pound. And this afternoon you shall see I am a person, such a one as you would wish to have met with. Sharper, aside. That you are, I'll be sworn. Why, that's great and like yourself. Scene two. To them, 
Captain Bluff. Oh, here it comes. I, my Hector of Troy, welcome my bully, my back, Agad. My heart has gone a pit-pat for thee. How now, my young knight? Not for fear, I hope. He that knows me must be a stranger to fear. Nay, Agad, I hate fear ever since I had liked to have died of a fright. But... But? Look here, boy. Here's your antidote. Here's your Jesuit's powder for a shaking fit. But who hast thou got with thee? Is he of metal? Laying his hand upon his sword. Ay, bully, a devilish smart fellow, who will fight like a cock. Say you so? Then I honour him. But has he been abroad? For every cock will fight upon his own dunghill. I don't know, but I'll present you. I'll recommend myself. Sir, I honour you. I understand you love fighting. I reverence a man that loves fighting. Sir, I kiss your hilts. Sir, your servant, but you are misinformed, for unless it be to serve my particular friend as Sir Joseph here, my country, or my religion, or in some very justifiable cause, I'm not for it. Oh, Lord, I beg your pardon, sir. I find you are not of my palate. You can't relish a dish of fighting without sweet sauce. Now I think fighting for fighting's sake sufficient cause. Fighting to me is religion and the laws. Ah, well said, my hero. Was not that great, sir? By the Lord Harry, he says true. Fighting is meat, drink, and cloth to him. But, back, this gentleman is one of the best friends I have in the world, and saved my life last night. You know I told you. Aye, then I honour him again. Sir, may I crave your name? Aye, sir, my name's Sharper. Pray, Mr. Sharper, embrace my back. Very well. By the Lord Harry, Mr. Sharper, he's as brave a fellow as Cannibal, are you not, Bullyback? Hannibal, I believe you mean Sir Joseph. Undoubtedly he did, sir. Faith, Hannibal was a pretty fellow, but Sir Joseph, comparisons are odious. Hannibal was a very pretty fellow in those days, it must be granted. But alas, sir, were he alive now, he would be nothing, nothing in the earth. How, sir? I make a doubt if there be at this day a greater general breathing. Oh, excuse me, sir. Have you served abroad, sir? Not I, really, sir. Oh, I thought so. Why, then? You can know nothing, sir. I am afraid you scarce know the history of the late war in Flanders, with all its particulars. Not I, sir. No more than public letters or gazettes tell us. Gazette? Why, there again now. Why, sir, there are not three words of truth the year round put into the gazette. I'll tell you a strange thing now as to that. You must know, sir, I was a resident in Flanders the last campaign, and had a small post there. But no matter for that. Perhaps, sir, there was scarce anything of moment done, but a humble servant of yours that shall be nameless was an eyewitness of. I won't say had the greatest share in it. Though I might say that, too, since I name nobody you know. Well, Mr. Sharper, would you think it? In all this time, as I hope for a truncheon, this rascally gazette writer never so much as once mentioned me, not once by the wars, took no more notice than if Noel Bluff had not been in the land of the living. Strange. Yet, by the Lord Harry, tis true, Mr. Sharper, for I went every day to coffee-houses to read the Gazette myself. Aye, aye, no matter. You see, Mr. Sharper, after all, I am content to retire. Live a private person. Scipio and others have done it. Sharper, aside. Impudent rogue. 
Aye, this damned modesty of yours. Agad, if he would put in foot, he might make general himself yet. Oh, fie. No, Sir Joseph, you know I hate this. Let me but tell Mr. Sharper a little how you ate fire once out of the mouth of a cannon. Agad, he did. Those impenetrable whiskers of his have confronted flames. Death? What do you mean, Sir Joseph? Look, you know, I tell you, he's so modest he'll own nothing. Pish! You have put me out. I have forgot what I was about. Angrily. Pray, hold your tongue and give me leave. I am dumb. This sword I think I was telling you of, Mr. Sharper. This sword I'll maintain to be the best divine, anatomist, lawyer, or casuist in Europe. It shall decide a controversy or split a cause. Nay, now I must speak. It will split a hair by the Lord Harry. I have seen it. Zounds, sir. It's a lie. You have not seen it, nor shan't see it. Sir, I say you can't see. What do you say to that now? I am blind. Death had any other man interrupted me. Good Mr. Sharper, speak to him. I dare not look that way. Captain, Sir Joseph's penitent. Oh, I am calm, sir. Calm as a discharged culverin. But twas indiscreet when you know what will provoke me. Nay, come, Sir Joseph, you know my heat's soon over. Well, I'm a fool sometimes, but I'm sorry. Enough. Come, we'll go take a glass to drown animosities. Mr. Sharper, will you partake? I wait on you, sir. Nay, pray, Captain, you are Sir Joseph's back. Scene 3 Araminta, Belinda, Betty, waiting in Araminta's apartment. Ah, oh, nay, dear, prithee, good, dear, sweet cousin, no more. Oh, gad, I swear you make one sick to hear you. Bless me. What have I said to move you thus? Oh, you have raved, talked idly, and all in commendation of that filthy, awkward, two-legged creature, man. You don't know what you've said. Your fever has transported you. If love be the fever which you mean, kind heaven avert the cure. Let me have oil to feed that flame, and never let it be extinct till I myself am ashes. There was a wine. Oh, gad, I hate your horrid fancy. This love is the devil, and sure to be in love is to be possessed. Tis in the heart, the head, the blood, the... all over. Oh, gad, you are quite spoiled. I shall loathe the sight of mankind for your sake. Fee, this is gross affectation. A little of Belmore's company would change the scene. Filthy fellow, I wonder, cousin. I wonder, cousin. You should imagine I don't perceive you love him. Oh, I love your hideous fancy. Ha, 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 love a man. Love a man, yes. You would not love a beast. Of all beasts, not an ass, which is so like your vain love. Lard, I have seen an ass look so chagrined. <laughs> you must pardon me, I can't help laughing. <laughs> that an absolute lover would have concluded the poor creature to have had darts and flames and altars and all that in his breast. Araminta, come. I'll talk seriously to you now. Could you but see with my eyes the buffoonery of one scene of address, a lover, set out with all his equipage and appurtenances, Oh, gad, I sure you would, but you play the game, and consequently can't see the miscarriages obvious to every stander-by. Yes, yes, 
I can see something near it when you and Belmore meet. You don't know that you dreamt of Belmore last night, and called him aloud in your sleep. Pish, I can't help dreaming of the devil sometimes. Would you from thence infer I love him? But that's not all. You caught me in your arms when you named him, and pressed me to your bosom. Sure, if I had not pinched you until you waked, you had stifled me with kisses. Oh, barbarous aspersion! No aspersion, cousin. We are alone. Nay, I can tell you more. I deny it all. What? Before you hear it? My denial is premeditated, like your malice. Lard, cousin, you talk oddly. Whatever the matter is, oh, my soul, I'm afraid you'll follow evil courses. Ha, 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 this is pleasant. You may laugh, but... Ha, ha, ha. You think that malicious grin becomes you. The devil take Belmore. Why do you tell me of him? Oh, is it come out? Now you are angry, I am sure you love him. I tell nobody else, cousin. I have not betrayed you yet. Prithee, tell it all the world. It's false. Come, then, kiss and friends. Pish. Prithee, don't be so peevish. Prithee, don't be so impertinent. Betty. Ha, ha, ha. Did your ladyship call, madam? Get my hoods and tippet, and bid the footman call a chair. I hope you are not going out in dudgeon, cousin. Scene four. To them, footman. Madam, there are. Is there a chair? No, madam. There are Mr. Belmore and Mr. Vainlove to wait upon your ladyship. Are they below? No, madam. They sent before, to know if you were at home. The visit's to you, cousin. I suppose I am at my liberty. Be ready to show him up. Scene five. To them, Betty with hoods and looking-glass. I can't tell, cousin. I believe we are equally concerned. But if you continue your humour, it won't be very entertaining. Aside. I know she'd feign to be persuaded to stay. I shall oblige you in leaving you to the full and free enjoyment of that conversation you admire. Let me see. Hold the glass. Lord, I look wretchedly today. Betty, why don't you help my cousin? Putting on her hoods. Hold off your fists and see that he gets a chair with a high roof or a very low seat. Stay, come back here, you, Mrs. Fidget. You are so ready to go to the footman. Here, take them all again. My mind's changed. I won't go. Scene six. Araminta Belinda. So, this I expected. You won't oblige me then, cousin, and let me have all the company to myself? No, upon deliberation, I have too much charity to trust you to yourself. The devil watches all opportunities, and in this favourable disposition of your mind, heaven knows how far you may be tempted. I am tender of your reputation. I am obliged to you. But who's malicious now, Belinda? Not I. Witness my heart. I stay out of pure affection. In my conscience, I believe you. Scene 7 to them, Vainlove, Belmore, Footman. So fortune be praised. To find you both within, ladies, is... No miracle, I hope. Not o' your side, madam, I confess. But my tyrant there and I are two buckets that can never come together. Nor are ever like, yet we often meet and clash. How never like? Mary, Hymen, forbid! 
but this it is to run so extravagantly in debt i have laid out such a world of love in your service that you think you can never be able to pay me all so shun me for the same reason that you would have done i on my conscience and the most impertinent and troublesome of duns a dun for money will be quiet when he sees his debtor has not wherewithal but a dun for love is an eternal torment that never rests until he has created love where there was none and then gets it for his pains for importunity in love like importunity at court first creates its own interest and then pursues it for the favour favours that are got by impudence and importunity are like discoveries from the rack when the afflicted person for his ease sometimes confesses secrets his heart knows nothing of i should rather think favours so gained to be due rewards to indefatigable devotion for his love is a deity he must be served by prayer oh gad would you would all pray to love then and let us alone you are the temples of love and tis through you our devotion must be conveyed rather poor silly idols of your own making which upon the least displeasure you forsake and set up new every man now changes his mistress and his religion as his humour varies or his interest oh madam nay come i find we are growing serious and then we are in great danger of being dull if my music-master be not gone i'll entertain you with a new song which comes pretty near my own opinion of love and your sex calls who's there is mr gavot gone only to the next door madam i'll call him scene eight araminta belinda vainlove and belmore why you won't hear me with patience what's the matter cousin nothing madam only prithee hold thy tongue lad he has so pestered me with flames and stuff i think i shan't endure the sight of a fire this twelvemonth yet all can't melt that cruel frozen heart oh gad i hate your hideous fancy you said that once before if you must talk impertinently for heaven's sake let it be with variety don't come always like the devil wrapped in flames i'll not hear a sentence more that begins with an i burn or an i beseech you madam but tell me how you would be adored i am very tractable then no i would be adored in silence <laughs> i thought so that you might have all the talk to yourself you had better let me speak for if my thoughts fly to any pitch i shall make villainous signs what will you get by that to make such signs as i won't understand ay but if i'm tongue-tied i must have all my actions free to quicken your apprehension and i god let me tell you my most prevailing argument is expressed in dumb show scene nine to them music-master oh i am glad we shall have a song to divert the discourse pray oblige us with the last new song song thus to a ripe consenting maid poor old repenting delia said would you long preserve your lover would you still his goddess reign never let him all discover never let him much obtain two men will admire adore and die while wishing at your feet they lie but emitting their embraces walks him from the golden dream nothing's new besides their faces every woman is the same 
So, how do you like the song, gentlemen? Oh, very well performed, but I don't much admire the words. I expected it. There's too much truth in them. If Mr. Gaveau will walk with us in the garden, we'll have it once again. You may like it better at second hearing. You'll bring my cousin. Faith, madam, I dare not speak to her, but I'll make signs. Addresses Belinda in dumb show. Oh, foe, your dumb rhetoric is more ridiculous than your talking impertinence. As an ape is a much more troublesome animal than a parrot. Aye, cousin, and tis a sign the creatures mimic nature well. For there are few men but do more silly things than they say. Well, I find my apishness has paid the ransom for my speech, and set it at liberty, though, I confess, I could be well enough pleased to drive on a love-bargain in that silent manner. T'would save a man a world of lying and swearing at the year's end. Besides, I have had a little experience. That brings to mind, when wit and reason both have failed to move, kind looks and actions from success do prove even silence may be eloquent in love end of act two